Good morning, church. My name is Greg Paris. Hasn't this been a beautiful morning so far? Just spectacular. So thankful to God for all of these wonderful lives that have been uh, been changed so effectively. I, I spoke to a couple of the, the younger uh, girls who were being baptized today, and I asked them to do me one favor. And, the favor. and they agreed. And I said, my favor is never forget your baptism. I said, there will be a season in your life when you wonder if God's still there, if he's still listening, if he still cares for you. And I said, remember your baptism because God is there and he is with us and he'll never leave you. And they promised, never forget your baptism. We are covering the story. Let's rehearse. There are five movements to understand the Bible Five things you need to remember that are big picture. Ready? Five movements. The first one is paradise. This was God's original vision for the world. He made human beings. He made the world. And we are the apple of his eye. We're made in the image and likeness of God. His vision, his idea was to spend eternity with us in communion and fellowship and intimate community. And so this was his deal. He, he, he made a man and a woman in a garden called Eden in paradise, and he intended to live with them forever. But of course, that, that vision was rejected. And so we have moved then from, from the first idea of the scripture, which is paradise, to the second, which is the nation of Israel, which we are discussing now. Last week with Abraham, the father of the faith, the father of the nation. And then from there, we'll move into the life of Jesus. And from there, the life of the church the followers of Jesus in the world, and back, the fifth movement is back to paradise, God's original design and intent, which is to live with us forever in a place called heaven, the new Jerusalem, the eternal kingdom. Uh, trust me when I say God will make good on his plans. God will fulfill the vision he's had for us. And in these five movements, you can understand the Bible and how it's laid out for us. Paradise, the nation of Israel, the life of Jesus, the life of the church, back to paradise. Today we want to talk about a very important character in the story of Israel, and his name is Joseph. Now I'll make this confession right at the beginning. Joseph is my favorite character in the whole Bible. Jesus is good. He's got his place. <laughs> Slip that in there just in case there's any confusion. <laughs> Ba-boom! No. Joseph, so Joseph is my guy. I just admire him very much. I look forward to meeting him. There is, a, there is an upper story, which, which the story implies, and a lower story. Can I just define those carefully? The upper story is God's big plan, his big vision for the world. And so his big will and purpose and plan is the upper story. And the lower story is all of these human beings that fit into this plan and all the complexities and the dynamics and the details that occur in the lives of these men and women who are fulfilling God's big plan. Today's story of Joseph is a perfect example of the upper story and the lower story intermingling constantly until we finally see the conclusion and this amazing, uh, this amazing conclusion of Joseph fulfilling his destiny and preserving this promised nation. Let's talk about Joseph for a minute. Joseph was born in the house of Jacob, 
Abraham, the first guy, you remember he had to wait a long time with his wife, Sarah. They finally had this baby, the son of promise, Isaac. And Isaac now has given birth to a number of children, and one of those is a son named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has a number of children, including 12 sons. Joseph is one of the youngest in this litter of boys. And of course, he had daughters as well. And, and Joseph is the special one. Jacob really liked Joseph. He was kind of born in Jacob's older age, and he was just his favorite. He said it out loud. He's my favorite. And his other brothers resented Joseph for this. And along the way, when Joseph was a, a boy and apparently a little spoiled brat, his father made him a special coat, this ornamental robe, this coat of many colors. Uh, you know, you may think of Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat. That's him, same guy, Joseph. And his brothers resented him for it. So one day the brothers are out and they're doing some work with the, with the, with the herds and Jacob sends Joseph out uh, to meet with the brothers and the brothers conspired to kill him. The reason they resent him so much is not only because Jacob has made him his favorite, but Joseph has also had dreams. As a boy, he had two specific dreams. One dream, he saw himself as a stalk of grain, a stalk of wheat, and his 11 brothers as, as other stalks of wheat, and they all bowed down to him. Then he, then he had a second dream, and he saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars representing his parents and brothers, and in his dream, they all bowed down to him. Now, Joseph at this time is young, and what comes with young is stupid. And so he's young and stupid, and so he decides to tell his family about these dreams. Hey, guess what? I had a dream. And in the dream, it was, the interpretation is pretty clear. All of you bow down to me. And even Jacob, his father, heard this, said, well, we bow down to you. And, and Joseph said, that was my dream. And they, they all resented him for it, and they hated him. So the day he goes out to meet with his brothers, they conspire to kill him. And they throw him in this dry cistern, and he's just there waiting his fate. And they debate among themselves, the brothers, about whether they should kill Joseph or not. And while they're debating this, a band, a caravan of Ishmaelites come by. They're headed toward Egypt. And one of the brothers said, let's just sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. And that's what they do. So they hand him off for 20 pieces of silver. And, and they take his coat, his elaborate ornamental robe, and they dip it in the blood of an animal. And they go home and tell their father, Jacob, that Joseph has been killed by, by a beast. And Jacob is very sad. And he grieves and grieves for a long, long time. And so here's Joseph. He is sold into slavery. The Ishmaelites arrive in Egypt, and at the first opportunity, they sell him to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is an, is an official in the house of Pharaoh. He's, he's very important. He has a large estate. And Joseph now is sold to Potiphar. And Joseph quickly distinguishes himself as a very capable young guy. Apparently, he's handsome. He's just late teenage years at this point. He is very capable. He, he displays leadership and management skills. And so Potiphar puts him in charge of the whole house, inside and out of the house. Potiphar also has a wife who takes a liking, a fancy to Joseph. And so she tries to seduce him. Joseph rebuffs her. She then falsely, in her anger for being rebuffed, 
falsely accuses Joseph of trying to take advantage of her sexually, tells her husband Potiphar, and Potiphar in his rage has Joseph thrown into prison. So now here's this guy, Joseph, as a teenager, he is betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery in the house of Potiphar, and now (laughs) thrown into prison. How many of you know things aren't going so well uh, so far for this guy? Now, it's interesting, it's interesting to note that from, from the time of these dreams, Joseph was living with a sense of destiny. Let me tell you this story. 160 years ago, a Methodist couple lived in London, England. First 10 years of their lives, the husband wondered in a quandary what God was asking him to do with his life. His wife, Catherine, apparently was a great Bible teacher the great preacher. Between the two of them, she was the one who had the teaching skills. And she was invited to do a Bible study one night in London. And in the evening, while she was teaching, her husband went out in the east end of London back in those days, 1865 or so, and he walked the streets. Every fifth building was a pub. Most of the, most of the counters, the bars in these pubs had steps on the side of them so that when children came in, they could climb up and lean on the bar and order, order gin. If you had coin, there was no age restrictions. If you had coin, you could get, you could get alcohol. And, and so he, he experienced this evening on the streets on this side of town. And that night he told his wife, I seem to hear a, a voice sounding in my ears. Where can you go and find such broken people as these? And where is there so great a need for your labors? So he said, darling, I think I have found my destiny. Interesting comment, isn't it? Later that year, again, 1865, the couple opened the Christian mission in London's slums. Their life vision then to reach the down and outers that other Christians were ignoring. And so that trip to London and that evening stroll turned into the Salvation Army. We've all heard of the Salvation Army uh, but you may not realize that it now ministers through 1,650,000 members in 132 different countries, including our own community here in Muncie. I mean, the Salvation Army, Army uh, members, you know, they, they walk around in uniform. This is an army, Salvation Army. It's a powerful, powerful organization. Let me ask you a question. Do you know your destiny? Do you know it? Do you know why you're here, alive on the planet? Do you have any idea about God's primary mission through your life? And what is the one primary significant contribution you are called to make while you are here on the earth? Let me give you a clue. I'll put this on the screen. I want to help you with this. Where your deep passion, that is the core desire of your best self, where it connects with the pain and the need of the world, there you will find your destiny. I want you to leave that on the screen for a minute. I want you to think about that. I want you to process a minute. Oftentimes when we talk about this kind of subject, it's easy for us just common folks, regular people like you and me to kind of dismiss this. You know, well, yeah, the, uh, William Booth and the Salvation Army, that's a big deal. That's a big destiny. You know, Joseph of the Old Testament, you know, preserves this nation. That's, that's big. That's a big destiny. But I'm just... Look, I'm just a person here. I'm trying to raise my kids. I'm trying to keep my job, trying to pay the mortgage. I'm just trying to figure it out every day. 
I don't know anything about this destiny thing. But here's a truth, and I'll put this on the screen too. You have been born with a destiny. God has called you with a purpose, a plan, a will, a destiny, a life of meaningful, useful service to God and others. I'm, de I'm declaring that today as the truth for every single person. You're not here by coincidence. You're not here by accident. You say, well, my circumstances would imply that I'm just, I'm just a toss away. I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't have survived. I shouldn't be alive. And you're telling me the, tr the truth that God has a big plan for my life? The answer is yes. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God has a plan, purpose, a destiny for your life? Do you believe that? If you do say yes, do you believe it? It's true. It is absolutely true. God has, God has a plan and a purpose. We might call it a destiny for you. A one primary significant contribution that God wants you to leave while you're alive here on the earth. Let me uh, rehearse this upper story again. God's big plan, big picture plan. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. We've rehearsed that. Genesis 37, he's about 17 years old when his brothers sell him off. Then he's put into prison while in Egypt. That's Genesis 39 to 41, those chapters. And one of the things that happens to Joseph when he's in prison, he was there for two years, by the way. They put him in, but he wasn't sentenced to some some length of time. He was thrown in the prison with no hope of ever getting out. So he was there for two years with no hope of getting out. Joseph had to assume that he would spend the rest of his life in that prison. While he's there though, Joseph hangs on to his dream. He hangs on to his sense of destiny. No, I, I, I believe God has special things in store for me. And so he distinguishes himself first in the house of Potter. Potter puts him char in charge of everything. And when he's in the prison, the warden notices his capacity and gives him uh, management of the whole prison. So all the scheduling, all of the comings and goings in the prison, Joseph is managing all of that. While he's in prison in those two years, there's a couple of guys who fall out of favor with Pharaoh, the king, and he throws them into the prison, and it was his cupbearer and his baker. Both of these guys have dreams. They wake up the next day from these dreams, and they're troubled by them, and they're wondering if anyone can help them interpret these dreams, and Joseph helps them interpret the dream. The cupbearer is actually reinstated to Pharaoh's service, and now Pharaoh in time, also has two very troubling dreams. None of his wise men, his magicians, no one from his cabinet can interpret these dreams. And Pharaoh is very distressed, very disturbed by these dreams. And the cupbearer overhears this conversation about Pharaoh trying to get the interpretation of these dreams. And the cupbearer goes, hey, you know, I met a guy in prison who interpreted one of my dreams once. Maybe he could help you. And the Pharaoh says, go get him. And so here comes, here comes Joseph. Uh, they cut his hair. He cleans himself up. They put him in nice clothes. They present him to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I understand you can interpret dreams. And Joseph stands there and says, no, sir. But the God I serve, if he so chooses, he might reveal to me 
the interpretation of your dreams. So if he's willing, I may be able to help you. Pharaoh says, my dreams go like this. I saw seven fat cows and seven really emaciated skinny cows. The skinny cows ate the seven healthy cows, but they didn't benefit from it. They remained skinny. I saw a, a, a stalk of wheat with seven heads of fruitful grain on one and a stalk of wheat with no grain at all. And the, and the emaciated stalk ate the fruitful stalk, but it didn't change its appearance. What do you think this means? And God reveals to Joseph the meaning of the dream. And he says, I understand the dream. He said that the seven fat cows represent seven years of abundant harvest in Egypt. Egypt, by the way, was the great superpower of the earth at that time. It was, you know, it's like the United States or China, you might say now. But it was the greatest nation in the world. And he said seven years are going to be abundant years, great harvest, followed by seven years of famine where no one will be able to reap or sow. And that's the interpretation of your dream. And Pharaoh sobered by this, realizing that sounds right, that seems right, that makes sense. He looks to Joseph and he says, what do you think we should do? And Joseph looks at him and he says, well, if it was up to me, he said, I would appoint superintendents over all the districts of, Israel, uh, of Egypt. And for the next seven years, I'd take a fifth of all of the harvest and store the grain so that when seven years expire and the seven years of famine come, there will be enough to save the nation, enough for everyone to eat. And he said, I would appoint superintendents over all the districts and I would appoint one guy to oversee the whole thing. And by the time Joseph gets done telling Pharaoh how he thinks he ought to manage it, Pharaoh is going, and Pharaoh looks around the room to see if there's anybody in his council that could manage that kind of project. And then he turns to Joseph and he says, what are you doing? And Joseph said, I'm not doing anything. I'm actually free right now, kind of in between jobs. <laughs> and Pharaoh goes, can anyone see any reason why this guy shouldn't supervise this whole project? And everyone goes, seems like the right man to us. And so in one day, he goes from the prison and he's elevated to literally the most powerful position in the world. That's the big story. That's the upper story. Imagine that. Now let's just fall back down into the lower story for a moment. Because the story isn't just God's story. The story is your story and my story. It's not just a story about God preserving a nation or the story of a guy named Joseph. This is your story because we've already agreed that not only does a guy like Joseph have a destiny in his life, but all of us have a destiny in life. So how can we apply some of the lessons Joseph learned along the way toward his destiny to our own situation? Let me go through kind of a lower story pattern here. And I, this, this will be the take home. Here's the first thing, to realize the power of a dream. The power of a dream, the dreams of our hearts should be the compelling vision of our lives. And if we agree that dreams are for all of God's people, that God will give all of us a dream, all of us a sense of purpose, all of us a destiny, if he'll do that, then it will have great power in our lives. It'll be the motivator in our lives. It'll be the compelling force behind our lives. The dreams are enormously powerful. 
So can I just encourage you to dream big dreams? The prophet Joel said that in the last days, young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams. And so here we are in a moment of time when it seems to me that there's never been greater opportunity or need for the people of God to dream big dreams and to trust God for big things. That's where an amen goes. Thank you for that one. Don't miss your moments. Come on now, people, let's go. It's a wonderful day to have great dreams because they are powerful. Here's the second thing. Destiny is mostly about who you are and not what you do. This is a totally foreign concept in today's Western cultures. The whole idea that you should be a better person, personally, privately, internally, more so than you should do big things. This is not, this is not preached very often. This is not taught much. But God has a destiny for you to become not just something you are to do. Let me say it another way. The common destiny for every Christian is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We know that this is God's general will for everyone. What is God's primary mission in everyone's life? To, to conform us to the image of Jesus, to make us more like him. That's the whole idea. And so that work is an internal work. So the things that matter most to God about you are the things that happen on the inside of you, not on the outside of you. Can you hear that? Can you receive that today? How many times have we seen people we know and people in the highest levels of leadership around the world collapse under the weight of responsibility because it couldn't be sustained by the internal strength of their character? We see this time and time again. So destiny is mostly about who you are, not what you do. Here's a third thing we learn, that God never elevates a person above their character. Now, you heard the old adage, never say never. I just said it. Let me say it again. God never elevates a person above their character. Never. Because that's a disaster waiting to happen. Now, human beings elevate other human beings beyond their character all the time. It happens in the corporate world. It happens in... It happens in Local politics, it happens in national politics. We, I mean, we elect people to office all the time beyond their character, beyond their capacity. But God will never do it. Before you go to the next level of increased possession of your destiny and influence, God will always work to first deepen your character. So look to Joseph, if you will. Joseph is a guy, he's a teenager, he gets sold into slavery. That's devastating. So what is God doing? God is moving him to a position where, where he will then be able to fulfill his destiny by preserving his family and therefore the nation of God. And so he's got to get to Egypt and he's got to get into a position of authority. So how's God going to do it? Well, the first step is sell him into slavery. He's got he's to head west and get to Egypt. And off he goes. But in order to do that, he has to be betrayed by his brothers and literally enslaved by a foreign people. What is God doing in this guy? Well, God's at work. We can say it this way. God is shaping a destiny for you and he is shaping you for his destiny. 
So God's not just physically positioning Joseph to be in the right place at the right time in the future. He is formulating inside of Joseph the kind of nature and internal strength required for him to fulfill his destiny when the moment's right. You so say, what, what do you mean by growing character? Character is things like honesty and integrity and loyalty and reliability and faithfulness. So God will never elevate a person until they're ready at the level of their character for that next level of influence in their destiny. Here's a fourth thing we can learn. God is in the dreams and he's with the dreamer. When life brings you to the pit, and it will, if you haven't been in the pit yet, if you haven't been in hell yet in this life, it's just because you haven't lived long enough. Because everybody goes through hell at some time or another. Some of you are in hell right now. You're in the pit. Your circumstances are horrible. And you always have a choice when you find yourself in the pit. And people make these choices. These choices, one of two, every day. Some folks just check out. They give up. They turn away. They turn away from their dreams. They turn away from people who care about them. They turn away from God. They turn away from all of the things that really matter in their lives, and they give up. You've been here, haven't you? Haven't you been to the moment where you just wanted to write that resignation letter so bad? I've done it. I've written, I've written five resignation letters in 40 years. I never turned them in, but I wrote them. It was very therapeutic. You know, you can take this job and... <laughs> You've been there, right? All of, us, all of us come into those moments where we just wonder, God, are you still there? God, do you care? Does it matter to you that I'm perishing here? When are you going to show up? When am I going to experience some breakthrough? When am I going to get some good news? And so people turn their back on the greatest opportunities that they have to actually grow in their faith and grow in their trust and grow at the level of their character and they walk away. They walk away from the faith and they walk away from people who care about them. The other option that people choose in moments when they're in the pit is that they decide they're not gonna give up and they're gonna, they're gonna behave like a grown-up. They're gonna be an adult. They're gonna be mature. One of the questions I ask myself when I, when I get on the edge and I wonder if I can make it, I always ask this question, what would someone I admire do under these circumstances? And I think about people I know and people I admire very much. And I just ask, what would they do? And the first thing I know for sure is they wouldn't be giving up. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be quitting they wouldn't be turning their back on God or others. That's one thing they wouldn't do. They, they, would, they would act like an adult. They'd act like a grown-up. I hear myself saying among our staff and sometimes among family members or others who are in conflict and can't seem to figure out what's going on, I, always use, I find myself saying this phrase, look, life as a, as a mature follower of Jesus isn't like a middle school slumber party. Because a middle school slumber party to me is like the most unstable environment imaginable. <laughs> Nobody's thinking straight. Everybody's feeling stuff and expressing those feelings. And there's lots of tears. There's lots of laughter. There's exhaustion. You know, people are getting punched. It's, 
That's my idea of chaos. So I remind people, look, this is not a middle school slumber party. These are people who follow Jesus who want to act like grownups. So what we do when we're in the pit sometimes, listen, we got to hitch up our skirt, Nancy. We got we to gotta tighten the bootstraps, sir. Sometimes all you can do is just stand. I don't, I don't know if I can move at all, but I think I can just stand here. Lord, I'll, I'll stand here if you'll deliver me. I'll stand here, Lord, if you'll fight for me. I'm not, sh- I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I'll ever be able to take another step or even lift a hand. But if you'll be with me, I won't quit. I won't back up. I won't run. I'll just, I, I can stand here for now. Sometimes that's all you got. But if you'll stand in confident trust in God, that'll be enough. He'll bring the grace you need when you need it. Here's the last point. Adversity is part of the will of God for your lives. And that's what I've been talking about, isn't it? Are you okay with that statement? Adversity is part of the deal. So here's my pastoral statement to you today. I hope you'll be encouraged by this. Maybe challenged, but encouraged. Don't judge yourself based on the circumstances you're in right now. And don't judge others based on the circumstances they're in. It's just not helpful because you don't know the whole story. You don't even know the whole story of what's happening to you. Usually when we find ourselves in a chaotic moment, if, you, if someone asks you, what's going on? You say, I don't know. That's my problem. I don't know what the heck is going on. And very rarely when you're in the middle of a storm, do you understand what God's trying to do in that storm? You're just in a storm and nothing will sort out. And you don't know the story in other people's lives either. I mean, if you had seen Joseph with a a rope tied around his neck being drugged west across the desert by the Ishmaelites when he was 18 years old, what would you have thought of him? Who's that guy? He's one of our slaves. Would you have been enticed to judge him a bit? How How about when he's thrown into prison? This is the old adage in prison, you know, an inmate looks at the other one and says, look, I don't, I don't belong here. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. That's a big joke in prison. In Joseph's case, it was true. Let me ask you this. What did he do to, what did he do to be betrayed by his brothers and, and, and sold as a slave? What did he do wrong? He didn't do anything. What did he do to deserve getting thrown into prison? Not a thing. But if you look at his life from the outside in, you might go, something wrong with that guy. He keeps getting in big trouble. He must be bad. Hear my statement again. Very simple. Don't judge yourself or others based on the circumstances of life. If you will grow and persevere in adversity, you'll be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate goal. So here's, here's an, another word of encouragement. If you are allowing the circumstances of your life right now, even though you're going through hell, allowing those circumstances to shape you more and more into the image of Christ, and let me tell you what you are. You are a raging success in life. Do you know people like this? Jeez, I, I, just, went through a, I just went through hell. But you know, I've popped through the other side and... You know, God really used that. I'm a different person now. I'm more patient now. I'm more trusting now. I have more faith now. 
I'm more tolerant of people different than me now. I'm better. Success. That's it. That's where, that's where you want to go. That's who you want to be. So this is the lower story of God's work in Joseph. And we learn these lessons too, don't we? The ones I've just described to you and probably a thousand others and that we can benefit and grow from them. Now back to the other story. Joseph now is 39 years old. He's 39. He's been through all of this stuff. And now he has led Egypt through seven years of prosperity. And now it's year two of the famine. And he's got grain. Jacob in the land of Canaan hears that that Egypt has enough grain to feed the world. And so Jacob says to his sons, take a bunch of our stuff and go to Egypt and barter for grain so that we might not die here in, here in the land of Canaan. And so the brothers go to Egypt and, and an audience with the prime minister is arranged. And here are all of these brothers of the, son, the sons of Jacob and they go into this, this gathering area, this very formal space. You know, you can imagine it was very ornate and there's a platform there and they, they walk in and now this procession of officials and 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 banner bearers and flag bearers and others. Maybe there's 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 music presented or whatever, and then a booming voice. And now the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world, and he's been given an Egyptian name. And so his brothers will have no idea whatsoever who this guy is, but it is their brother, Joseph. And Joseph steps forward and and. And as soon as he steps forward, all of his brothers in front of him, what do they do? They they not only bow, they're down on their knees and then they put their faces to the ground, completely prostrate before their brother Joseph. And And Joseph now, 30 years later, He's seen this scene before in his dreams. He knows, he knows he's coming into his destiny. He knows what's at stake. He understands it now. He has to dismiss himself. He goes back behind the curtain and he weeps. Because he's laid eyes on his brothers again. And rather than taking revenge on his brothers who have betrayed him so horribly, he reaches out to them and he saves them. We want to know why. Why? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he just get even with those knuckleheads? Well, that's what a guy impulsive That's what a guy who hasn't allowed his character to be shaped. This is a guy who had discarded his God-given dreams. This is what a guy who is going through life impulsively might do, but not this guy. This is why he's my favorite character in the Bible. He looks at his brothers and he says to them, I'm your brother Joseph. And they all have an old stink moment.
He says, don't be afraid. No harm will come to you. I'm going to take care of you. And your father, is your father still living? Yes, he's alive. So what about your younger brother, Benjamin? Because Joseph and Benjamin had the same mother too. They were full-blooded brothers. Yes, Benjamin is alive. Now, Joseph does tweak them a bit. I mean, he yanks their chain. He messes with them. And he makes threats, and he accuses them of stealing some stuff. And he, I mean, he sets them up. He's just working them. And who can blame him? He's, he literally is working them over emotionally. And finally, he arranges for his father, Jacob, and all of his brothers to come to Egypt. And all of them now, just like the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they all bow down to him. It is an amazing moment. And when they are all afraid for their lives, he reassures them. He says, listen, what you did to me wasn't very good. He said, but what you intended for evil, listen to, listen to a grown-up, listen to a mature person, listen to a character-filled leader, listen. He said to them, what you intended to do was evil. And what you intended for my destruction, God intended for our good. What, what you devised to be evil, God has turned around in a redemptive way. And now look where I am in a position to preserve our family and indeed the nation of God. Amazing moment. It is an amazing moment. The Egyptians had this thing for shepherds. So he told his brothers, listen, when Pharaoh asks you what you do for a living, tell them you're shepherds. And Joseph knew the reaction that Pharaoh would have to a bunch of sheep herders. The Egyptians thought that kind of occupation was the absolute lowest thing that you can do in the world. It was very bigoted against shepherds. It's, uh, it's, it's classism of its highest, highest order. And so they say, oh, we're shepherds. And the Pharaoh goes, oh, well, you can't live with Egyptians. Let's see, where can we put you? And so they, he sends them to the Nile Basin in the land of Goshen. And now over the next 300, then 400 years, the Israelites continue to reproduce until there are nearly 2 million people. The Pharaoh and Joseph have long since passed, and the, and the new Pharaoh the pharaohs that emerge see the Israelites as free labor, human labor. And some of the great structures, including the Great Pyramid at Giza, is constructed in these years. It's an amazing phenomenon. But the Israelites become enslaved, which is where we'll pick up the story next week as God continues to deliver his nation through the person of Moses. Isn't this a great story? Isn't this an amazing thing that God is at work all the way through all of these complexities and dynamics and details of the life of one man named Joseph and at the same time affecting his will according to the covenant and promise he made to Abraham to make a great nation. So let's pause and think about these things and let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we know that you are at work in the midst of the details of our lives, good and bad, accomplishing your purposes. We know that all things work together for good to them that love you.
And we know that your storyline is unfolding. In our lives, even in the bleak and confusing times, even when we're in the pit, help us to trust that and believe you. Help us to live freely, even in the midst of trouble. And especially being able to forgive. Joseph is such a great model for us to forgive those who sin against us. And Lord, we also know that the tests that we experience in life are in order to build our faith and to strengthen our character. It's good to know that. It's really hard to live into that. So give us your grace and strength. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, now listen to your pastor just for a moment. Listen to me. No person in the world can thwart you from your dreams. There are no demons in hell, no powers of evil principalities of darkness that exist in the universe that can keep you from your dreams, your God-given dreams. There is only one person who can keep you from your dreams, and that's you. So follow Joseph's example through thick and thin, ups and downs, all the way to your destiny. And you will honor God, and you will find your place in this world he's made. Amen? Stand with us.